Hello guys, I know you saw that title and you're thinking I'm just joking, huh? Well, today we are not really gonna be joking much. Today's guest is Willow Truman, the co-host of The Nonsense Bazaar. And she decided to sit down today with me and share her own personal experiences mingling with the idea of being a star child. We talk about the sense of otherness, feelings of not belonging in your own body, much less human society and many issues neurodivergent people experience which may ultimately lead them to believe that they are not of this earth and join the starseed community where they find a meaning to their life. And no guys, we are not gonna make fun of starseeds in this episode because ultimately most starseeds come to these beliefs from a very compassionate and heartwarming place. But oh no, you're interested in that other word, huh? Well, apart from starseed stuff, Willow is also here to share with us and introduce us to the wonderful world of hypnofetishism. And how hypnofetishism allowed her to recognize the bullshit of the use of hypnosis in alien abduction research. How hypnosis is definitely not a tool for memory retrieval, but rather for behavior modification, which people often use for sexual purposes, and not just the hypnofetishists, but also alien abduction researchers. Yeah, guys, today we will also be bashing him again. me today is Willow Truman. Hi! <laughs> <laughs> and Willow Truman, you host the podcast The Nonsense Bazaar. That's right. The Nonsense Bazaar. Bazaar like a place. Oh, like like the market place. Yeah, like a market. We're going to come to us. We'll give you stories. You don't even have to pay us. Just give yeah. us your attention. <laughs> well, I recently heard of your podcast via Red Pill Junkie, our mutual friend. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's excellent. I was doing an episode actually on hoaxes, and I was trying to think of some UFO ho hoaxes which spawned genuine paranormal phenomena. And I was asking RPG about that, and he said, oh, how about the Umo case? I'm like, where am I going to go research that? And then he mentioned your episode. Mm -hmm. I ended up not talking about the Umo case because it is so convoluted and complicated. Oh, so complicated. It really broke my brain researching that one. Oh man, it, it even broke my brain listening to it. But I yeah. was like, dude, Willow, like you blurted out so much information. You did a ton of research. And then I saw like, that's what you usually do on your show. Thank you for noticing. <laughs> and for the listeners, can you maybe tell them what your show is about? So our show, The Nonsense Bazaar, we cover stories that really happened, usually stories in the realm of conspiracy, new ageism, magic, uh, or just paradigm shifts in general. We talk about charlatans, we talk about we talk about things that seem too crazy to be true, but are. Also, you like uh, talking about uh, hoaxes a lot, about scam artists and stuff like that. Yeah. It's not like usual paranormal or conspiracy shows. You guys are mostly focused on, let's say, how these weird beliefs spread we have a very um like we're both believers but we're both skeptics so i think that in just searching for things and being curious we just find a lot of flim flam you know i don't really mean to i don't try to search out for hoaxes they're just they're just everywhere it's almost like that topic chose us you know especially the ascended masters movement all of this i am the roots of new age fascism and QAnon. like we never set out to make a show about that and yet those topics found us and are not letting us go. I'm finding them everywhere, even where I don't mean to. I think that's a very interesting dynamic because you you said you guys are believers and usually believers would do, you know, generic episodes about the things they believe in. Mm -hmm. But you guys do something very different. You try to find the nonsensical things and call them out. <laughs> yeah. And also find some joy in them. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to talk now about why you are on this podcast. Yeah. Why am I here? What am I doing? Who am I? 
<laughs> Can you explain actually to the listeners why you're here today? Why am I here? Well, you reached out to me and we talked and I listened to your show and I really liked it. Then we got into the topic of star seeds and hypnosis and mental illness and neurodivergency. We decided that, hey, that would make a really great podcast topic. Oh, yeah. Also, you did an episode related to David Jacobs. And this was when I had Jeremy Vaney on my show. So I made a whole episode with him criticizing David Jacobs from the perspective of the Emma Woods situation. But what you did, you did the episode, I think, a year ago. Yeah. You were not aware, as was not I, of the Emma Woods situation back then. No, I had no idea. And yet, when I looked into this other case, there was this woman on the website Gab, and she also had an Instagram profile. She went by just... Journal of an Alien Abductee. And she was Mm -hmm. posting pictures and talking about her experiences of recovering her memories of abduction. She had been consulting this hypnotist, David Jacobs. So first I found this woman who was posting all of these crazy things. And then I looked into David Jacobs. I read his book about, you know, the threat and the hybrids. And I'd also heard of his theories before. And I always thought that they were very negative and very like fatalistic and also kind of like xenophobic. His whole idea of they're infiltrating us. They're trying to dilute the bloodline like okay bro also very rapey like the idea of infiltration and he he goes into the ultimate type of rape that they are what uh, implanting us impregnating us intruding on our dna and eventually you know replacing us think about it is it is xenophobic and racist it's the same idea totally like decades ago about asian people like they're gonna overpopulate the planet yeah so it just it's to me it spoke to some fucked up shit in his head and me and sequoia were looking at this woman this journal of an alien abductee and then we started looking into david jacobs and we came to the conclusion this man is the culprit. This man is messing with people. He's messing with their minds. And uh, he's also making them wear chastity belts and high heels to bed and stuff. Like, just very weird fetishy stuff, too. There's red flags all over it. Was he, in that case, also mentioning chastity belts? Yeah. Okay, th- that's... Wow. So, I think it's a very important thing that you made that whole episode without knowing anything about the Emma Woods situation, because you uh, uncovering all this shows just another example of his predatory behavior with another person. It's not just, you know, a part of the Emma Woods story. It's it's all related to him. It goes back to him. Mm-hmm. You know, unfortunately, I think David Jacobs and I have something weird in common, which is also why we're doing this podcast and why we're yeah. talking, which is that he's a hypnotist and I'm into hypnotism in mm-hmm. an erotic way. Yeah, and he is as well unfortunately. Yeah, he is. And he's making a real bad name for us. A real bad name. So that's also another reason why I wanted to talk because I think that that's just an interesting perspective because I hate David Jacobs. I don't like him at all. And yet, you know, trying to understand the, the motivations and like a look into the mind of someone who does what he does. How he can also seemingly get away with it. I also want to point out I know that historian and hypnotist start with the same letter. But they're not the same thing. No. (laughs) But we're going to go into your hypnotism a bit later because that's more, you know, current and contemporary. Yep. But uh, I want to go into how you eventually got into hypnotism because you have a whole other side related to the ufology community. I do. That was also a part of your life. I do. After I graduated from college and moved back home to take care of my mother, I found myself getting really into magic, doing rituals in the woods, invoking goddesses, and getting into meditation and yoga. And I think, honestly, I was bored. You know, I got out of college. I didn't have a license. I was stuck at home. I had no sense of accomplishment or purpose, really, or, you know, anything to guide my routine. So I threw myself sort of, you know, to a spiritual awakening of sorts, which eventually led itself into me fully and truly believing with 100% certainty that I was a star child. Okay. That I was a star seed. Star seed. uh, Did you ever use the term indigo child? No. Okay. Can you, for the listeners, explain what a star seed is? Because most of my listeners are into aliens and monsters and UFOs, but not really into the spiritual side of that. So star seeds are individuals who believe that, you know, their body might be human, but they're from somewhere else. Like their real home is off in the stars, in space. Usually they'll have a, a specific planet or constellation that they relate to. Like maybe uh, some people think that they're from Andromeda. Some people think they're from Arcturus. 
Arcturus. It depends. There's different traits associated with different constellations. And it's sort of like a people pick out what they resonate with. And then they detach from or maybe it connects them to their humanity. It depends on the person. There's a lot of mm-hmm. different ways you could be a starseed because everybody's individual. But it's just people that don't connect to their humanity as much as other people do. Do you think that it's the case of them not connecting to their humanity or the illusion of what humanity is? Oh, that's a great way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Because what does it mean to be a human? You know? Yeah. What does it mean to be an alien? I don't know. (laughs) It's, I feel like a lot of starseeds, while they're very easy to make fun of and, you know, their beliefs are really far out, like these are usually just people that feel different from other people. And that I can really connect with and relate with. I didn't go from, you know, regular everyday person that's not into magic-y stuff straight to I'm an alien. You know, there was a lot of steps along the way and also a lifetime of feeling different. A lifetime of reading those books in the library about ESP and aliens and Bigfoot and getting living dead dolls instead of Barbie dolls, which if you've never seen a living dead doll, look it up because there's a lot of cool ones. Okay, but do you think that you got these ideas from a lifetime of reading the books or were are you already from our early from an early age attracted to this material from some intrinsic reason? Yeah, I've always been attracted to it. I've always liked horror and scary things. I've always liked supernatural things. And I've always liked unseen things. Like when I was a kid, I had bright red hair and I was told by an aunt that, oh, that means that you have the gift of fairy sight. If you put your hands in a circle and walk around the woods and look through the circle, you can see things nobody else can see. And I would just spend hours walking around with with my hands in a circle looking for this other world that only I could access. That was delightful, you know? I, I feel like I, in my adulthood, part of me was trying to recapture that sense of wonder and specialness. Do you think, and I, I'm sorry, like, I, I got this idea now to ask you this, yeah. if it's personal, but do you think in childhood you were maybe prone to do this, like, search for fairies? Did you feel as a child, like you cannot connect to general people and that you had this need to connect to someone or something. Oh yeah, definitely. Because I was raised by my grandparents and didn't really know my parents, but I knew that they were not equipped to take care of me. And I, you know, since I entered school, I realized that my family was different than other families and that my circumstances were different than most other people. Of course, I found the fellow weirdos and I, I found lots of people to connect with that, you know, I'm not the only one that has a strange upbringing or an offbeat upbringing. Definitely since childhood, I always had and carried a sense of otherness, which would eventually manifest in, you know, going to psychologists and psychiatrists. And in high school, I had what's known as an individuated education program, which is for special needs students. Mm -hmm. So like, I've just, I've always known that, yeah, I'm, I'm not like other people. I'm not like most other people. Okay, that individ- I am a teacher by profession, you probably don't know. That individuated study program you're mentioning, do you think that contributes more to children in that situation feeling even more estranged from their peers and even more the- into this otherness, as you said? Yeah, because to me, you know, you hear the word special needs, or at least as a teenager, I would hear the word special needs and think like, what, do you think I'm stupid? You know, because uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I'm stupid at all. And for me, it just, yeah, it it created an even greater sense of alienation within me. Well, I think like, and... But it was also needed, by the way. I'm not going to deny that. I I definitely needed those special accommodations to get through school. But I also think like that classical approach towards people on the spectrum was very problematic because you are insinuating that they are in other or that this is some kind of illness, you know, or something that does not need to be. Right. But rather, nowadays, we are treating it more as a neurodiversity, a different form of thinking and perceiving reality, mm-hmm. which is a completely normal thing. Yeah. Not uh, abnormal. Especially for someone that was raised in abnormal circumstances. Like my childhood looked really weird. It looked like the first years of my life where I was completely neglected. And when you don't form proper attachments to people, when you're not cared for properly, you don't know mm-hmm. how to navigate the world. You don't know how to feel safe in the world. So of course, I experienced things differently differently than my peers who had maybe grown up with a more stable, secure environment. Okay. And can you share with the listeners what types of people, what what background of people are attracted to the idea of a starseed? How, how do they get hooked into this belief? I think it's a lot of people who 
have a background perhaps of trauma, of feeling different, of being neurodivergent or mentally ill. Sometimes addiction can go hand in hand with it as well. You know, people that have exposed themselves to a lot of THC or LSD, mushrooms for the first time, and they're having these great awakenings and realizations about the universe and don't know how to integrate those experiences. There's all of these websites that will tell you like, oh, this is what's happening. This is what you saw. You are from this alien race. And I think, I don't know, tell me, tell me your reflections on that. I think generally in the paranormal world, the, this paranormal or UFO or crypto or whatever community you want attracts marginalized people. Yep. And we are all mar- marginalized in a way. Even I, like I work a very corporate job and a very good paying job. You know, I'm not marginalized in the sense of my day job and career. Right. But outside of work, I go home. I am a loner. All my life, I felt that otherness, yeah. which was also perpetuated by my upbringing. And also, as you said, being brought up in a family that is a bit maybe different. Also, my mom is partially disabled. So mm-hmm. another thing that resonates between us, I can resonate with that, how caring for somebody can also spark this this feeling. Yeah. I don't know, but my, my reflection is that maybe with the star seed, it's it attracts more more extremely marginalized people. Uh, but also like people who have been brought up to feel dehumanized. Yeah. Like if we don't dehumanize people, would ev- anybody ever be attracted to the notion of a star seed? Right. Like I just truly could not connect with my humanity, even like this body that I'm in, it felt I I always felt very separate from my body throughout my life. Integrating my mind and my body has always been a struggle and realizing that the two of them need to feed off of each other. Like when I'm treating my body good, my mind feels right. That took me way, way too long to learn because I just I think that otherness also it literally disassociated me from myself and from my body that I felt more like this like a passenger in my own life rather than an active participant in it. Hmm. Did you also feel like a passenger in your own body? Yeah. Yeah. Like I, yeah, I always felt so separate from it. And this was, this whole starseed thing was a way of making sense of that. It does make sense because like if you perceive your body as let's say human, but your soul as an other, it does Mm -hmm. make sense that you would be attracted to the idea, oh, your soul has been imprinted into a human body. And that explains that. Yeah. I already had Jeremy Vaney on here and he briefly went into this stating that let's say mothers in the UFO communities who have children on the autistic spectrum tends to gravitate towards this idea of starseeds or indigo children to cope with having children on the autistic spectrum. I, I find that very, very fucked up because wh- why would you need to look for other explanations for your child instead of just accepting your child for who they are already? And there's right. nothing wrong with them. They, they are the person they are. Why can't your child just be a human that's unique and awesome in their own right? You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's part of what brought me out of it. The whole starseed thing, it was it was very oddly empowering to me that it almost gave me the boost that I needed to not need it anymore. Like in order for me to overcome other issues, like I was also uh, very anorexic at the time. For about four years of my life, I was absolutely like delusional and so lonely. And like my only friend was this this enemy, this private enemy within my body that would I would argue with all the time about whether or not I deserved to live, whether I deserved to eat. So once I had this sense of like, I have a cosmic family, you know, I there's things beyond my understanding that are looking out for me and keeping me alive and I chose this life I chose these struggles like this idea that my soul or my consciousness the matter that makes me up specifically chose to incarnate here on earth in order to experience that suffering it was the impetus I needed in order to get out of that I think it's very empowering uh, that you're sharing this now you have reminded me of something so back in the days we know exorcisms were a thing and they still are unfortunately and usually with possessions you hear about the possessed person starving themselves and what you now said like you are you were trying to starve this what you felt was an intruder or enemy sharing your body with you Mm -hmm. is that something maybe that possessed people also go through but due to the you know heavy religion and stuff like that they perceive that as a demon and then their parents get involved in the church and blah 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 and that just goes a completely different course you want to hear something interesting something Mm -hmm. that i did during that time when i was you know trying to stay at a very low unhealthy weight and, and 
and harm myself is I was reading obsessively about saints and about holy fasting. And I kept trying to turn my illness into something religious and mystical in order Mm -hmm. to make me continue on doing it. And so it only makes sense that the way that I came out of it also came in this sort of mystical, spiritual way. That's interesting. So was this anorexic period before you turned to the starseed stuff? Yeah. Okay. So how did you get interested in the starseed stuff? Like, how did you find out and discover it? So once I graduated from college and I was back home, that's when I started reading about chaos magic and sigils. And I got mm, trying to think of the, the name of of the books and the authors and they're in there but they're gone right now because I've had precisely one hard cider and that has wiped my mind of it but I got very into chaos magic from there that like set me down this trajectory into I could not get enough of the weird shit you know I was like addicted to it I wanted all of the weird crazy mystical stuff that I could get because I didn't realize that there was this other way of interacting with reality than what I had been doing the whole time yeah how, how did the I mean sigils and mysticism point you towards the starseed stuff like the starseed literature is it very magic heavy yeah they definitely overlap I mean, I'm not sure exactly the sequence of events that brought me there, but I know that I was pretty much dipping my toe into everything that I could get. Oh, you you, you were trying everything and then that just stuck. Yeah, it just made sense. Okay. When you started turning towards the starseeds phenomenon, let's say, uh, were you a part of some kind of community? Was it maybe online? Was it in real life? Oh, you just made me remember something. Okay. When I was in the height of my eating disorder, I used to use this forum that I won't name. God forbid anyone else ever go on it. But it was this terrible website that was all like, it was pro-eating disorder. And because I was a transfer student at my college, uh, my junior year, I didn't know anyone there. I was so isolated. My peer group ended up just being this forum of other people that were trying to starve themselves. And it became this very competitive atmosphere. And also, weirdly, a, a, a supportive, atmosphere but supportive in like the most evil way yeah and the starseed thing also provided community where i didn't have any and i think that that's why doing the podcast has been really really good for me because it's it's given me that sense of community in such a positive uplifting way where i can actually like meet people who are useful to my life path exactly yeah i mean (laughs) think of it now you're remembering things that may prove useful to you now just talking about this yeah let's go into some fun stuff (laughs) yes what type of race did you prefer to okay. think of yourself as? So I, I brought it up. I brought up a link because I wanted to talk about this. I thought that I was largely a Syrian starseed. That's, you know, Sirius, the dog constellation. Okay. And Syrian starseeds, like here's one website's description. The Syrians are said to have interacted with ancient Egypt, helping to develop the Great Pyramids with new technology, sharing their vast knowledge with the people. Depending on how well they know someone, Syrian starseeds might seem reserved or quiet at first, but inside they're a beam of light. They struggle to express their emotions fully and often feel misunderstood. For this reason, they value close-knit friendships, quality over quantity. They take some time to blossom socially, but once they do, they're very loyal, trustworthy, and reliant. And I'm like, you know, like rereading this, looking back at this, like it's a very, it's almost like a Barnum statement. You know, a lot of people could relate to that. Okay, so you you know what I, I think listening to that? It reminds me of the Myers Briggs personality types. Yeah, yes. Which is also bullshit, but for some reason, a contemporary American society thinks it is perfectly acceptable, yet this is not, you know, because mm-hmm. it's aliens. But the Myers-Briggs test is also bullshit and is also new age nonsense. And yet corporations, I don't know if you know this, but there are corporations that actually seek employees via their Myers-Briggs tests. Yeah, it, that can't, that feels like it shouldn't be legal. Like, that's weird. There are also corporations that pay supposed mediums or psychics. Of course. To- make decisions you know there's something like i don't like it but there's also something kind of cool about that where i just have to let them have it because it's it's interesting that they're doing it i also have to say that that has nothing to do with the corporation where i work yeah (laughs) i hope not i'm always reluctant when i say i work in a corporation and then i you know i often criticize american capitalism and stuff like that and then i Mm -hmm. remember well i'm a part of the machine as well yeah so like starseeds they all something about that unifies 
otherwise most star seeds is that most of them feel like they came to Earth because they chose to and they have a mission here and that mission is to uplift humanity. And for that, like, that's kind of cool. I don't, I don't know what they're, you know... Yeah. And I think it's very shitty to bully such people if they are motivated by this idea that they are here to help people. So you're somebody who's al- already marginalized by society, you know? And that's right. a very fucked up, shitty situation to be in. And then you cling to this community which perpetuates this idea that you are brought on this planet to help the same society that shuns you. And you want to help them, but they shun you more. There's something beautiful about that, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, when I was a starseed, I never bought anything. Of course, you could find a ton of like starseed awakening course or like ascension flu symptoms. There's people that think, you know, they're uh, tapping into their starseed consciousness and they're ascending from their humanity and therefore they're like literally sick, but it's actually they're just having like a manic or depressive episode or or they're literally like they have the flu. <laughs> but <laughs> so there's tons of misinformation out there that is legitimately harmful. But like for me personally, I found comfort in it, weirdly. What do you think the, let's say, the higher-ups in the in the Starseed hierarchy, whatever, are all of them scammers out to, you know, exploit people? Not all of them. Or are there actually, you know, people who are higher up but very genuinely into this? Like, Well, it's like how there's definitely authentic tarot readers and then there's people that are just bullshitting and don't mm-hmm. really care about the craft. There's authentic psychics and then there's people like uh, Teresa Judice on TLC, the psychic meet, whatever her show is, you know, there's scammers and and there's people who authentically mean good. Uh, Who who gets the most attention? Because the Starseed community is something that is very well hidden from public eye. It's not like mediumship, you know? Mediumship Uh is very public and you have a lot of bullshitters and scammers who become famous, but nobody is famous from the Starseed community, except within that community. Uh, Does this maybe allow, because it is more, let's say, within its own bubble more outside of the public eye does this allow it to maybe uh, have more a more quality let's say leadership uh, do people gravitate more towards these authentic star seeds or is it the opposite does it allow abuse to happen more easily unfortunately it's the opposite because i think okay. a lot of star seeds what attracts them to being a star seed is like their open-hearted nature you know wanting to help people feeling different feeling lonely but also feeling like they have a special cosmic purpose those are the exact things that make them easily exploitable you know Mm -hmm. unfortunately it's usually the best things about people that make them easily exploited especially if they're open and loving and trusting and you know have an unconventional view of reality and are more open to alternate explanations of things they're the perfect victim which yeah a lot of people do exploit. And I, I would imagine, like, see pe- people who are exploited by mediums or tarot readers or something like that. Or like Gaia TV, all of their TV shows. Yeah. I, I think, like, a lot of those people are people who want to, let's say, h- how can I manifest success in my life? How, how can I make somebody fall in love with me? You know, uh, people in those communities go to those communities for selfish reasons. But uh, what you're telling me about Starseeds, most of those people are there because they genuinely feel ostracized, but have a genuine need to also help the same and people connect. who ostracize. Yeah. yeah. Very fucked up that, that that's being exploited. It is. And, you know, you can go on websites and find like these certain websites where you can buy like a crystal pack where you get like five different rocks just for Syrian star seeds, you know, like stuff like that. And, you know, I guess any exchange of goods and and money is sort of a, that can be seen as a magical act. And if you believe that those rocks are going to do something for you and they look pretty and you like them, then, you know, no harm, no foul. But I also have to question the intentions of these shop owners and whether or not they're just slapping it on there because it's an easy sell or if, you know, they actually put any time or care into curating those crystals. So you already mentioned that being a star seed was kind of a springboard in your life, allowing you to transcend into something yeah. better and become who you are now. So what what made you abandon that community? Um. Well, I knew that I looked fucking dumb to a lot of people that I respected. And even though I still, I don't know, 
where I'm from, you know? I still kind of feel like I might not be human. I don't know what I am. I don't know where this, where we are, what this plane of existence and reality is, if it's all just a dream in someone's head. But I know that I am an earthling and I am a, on earth. And as far as I know, I'm not dreaming right now. And this is real life. So I might as well sink into my humanity, get to know my body, get to feel comfy in it and feel at home on earth because I'm here for a long time, I hope. Okay, so I'm gonna tell you something very frank now. I think you are more human than others in a way. You're, you say you don't know if you're still a part of humanity, but I'd say you are uh, very honestly a human. Yeah. And the thing is, uh, you are you maybe feel like an outsider because other people are not that honest about who they are. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. They want to maintain this e ego image that is fake, you know, that needs to be broken in order to actually connect with the universe around you. Yeah, I guess I just didn't need it anymore to feel good about myself or to feel purposeful. So I kind of let it fall to the wayside. And I also learned to practice more discretion about what I say out loud to people about my inner beliefs, you know? I, I learned <laughs> that a lot of stuff sounds pretty crazy and you're going to get some weird looks. So how about you just... Keep that to yourself. Okay, no. so good thing here. This is not a video, so nobody is looking at you and you can't see who's looking at you. Also, I see that you're failing at that practice of keeping quiet about who you are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Which I'm glad for because I think this is a very powerful episode. No, I agree. And I want the listeners to know that I was terrified to do this. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. So the listeners, like, we have been chatting all day and uh, you, you wanted to just call it all off. Yeah, I was very tempted to. I didn't, but oh, oh, I wrestled with myself. I told her, like, I really don't care about the episode. Like, we're, we're doing the episode now just as an imprint of our conversation so it can have some meaning but what means to me is just chatting with a friend you know because willow right. and i have been interacting for a few weeks now like we became friends and i'm yeah. interested in what what a friend is going through yeah and i i appreciated that you made me feel very at ease and now here we are talking and this is my truth you know that's what i've experienced it's who i am and and it's what it is you know and it's not it's not as bad as you think at all i think it's not anybody... bad it's really not so many people have believed way more embarrassing things no no the, the, there's no need to invalidate what you feel about yourself but i want to say it's not bad it's actually very good very brave and very honest and Thank you. to be honest like uh, the first thing the first time i heard of star seeds was within another podcast though a very edgy one about paranormal stuff and mm -hmm. they like made an episode that's two hours of making fun of star seeds oh it's so easy to do you know very, very easy Great. um <laughs> Like, that's what's being portrayed uh, in podcast form, usually on these podcasts. Right. And even on my own podcast, you know, we poke fun at like new ageiness and, you know, people yeah. with far out beliefs. But also like, especially people in the UFO community who are all into UFOs and aliens, but their own bullshit narratives, or dare I say the David Jacobs narratives, yeah. which are very fucked up. You also, you hear way more about people being abducted by aliens or seeing aliens rather than people being aliens you know kind of unique there so i had jeremy vaney who is an alien abductee but he does not believe in aliens so i referred to him in that episode as a former alien abductee and my plan with this episode was to start it like oh i had a former alien abductee but now i have a former alien and when today <laughs> you, you you opened up and told me like what you're going through and what this means to you i'm like yeah we should take the the more honest approach about this because yeah. i mean we can joke all we want and other podcasts are surely joking about it it's oh and more power to them like don't stop yeah. you know i think it's also important that this stuff is sort of we can giggle at it because it's fucking silly like it just mm -hmm. is and that doesn't mean that it's real fake whatever it's just silly it's absurd it's one way of viewing the universe for good or, or for worse for some people it's really bad for some people it's empowering but it's also very harmless and if people as you say are drawn to that because of this need to help other people it's very sweet uh, you you told me like you were drawn to it because you wanted to help care for your mom so you were not even thinking about oh i want to help the world and you know fill your ego it's more like i'm a starseed and i'm being brought on this planet to help 
my loved ones. Yeah, I mean, of course, you don't go to college for four years expecting that you're going to get out and then you're never going to get a job, you know, and I haven't. I've been out for years now. I'm 27 and I'm mm -hmm. at home taking care of her. And that's my path. It's not the one that I expected at all, but it's the one that I've chosen. And it is a choice. Like, I don't have to be here. I could have gone off and done my own thing and left her to her own devices, but I've, I've chosen not to. Maybe you just needed a reason that is more than a human reason. I did. I really did because yeah. it was hard yeah. for me. It was very hard for me. Right after I got out of college, she was diagnosed with cancer. That was hard. That mm -hmm. was very hard. I had no idea what was going to happen. And it's been a question for the last five years, you know, like mortality, it could happen at any time. You know, you could die at any time. I've been through a lot of loss and I realized that life is precious and important. It's important to be there for the people that have given you love and support. And I want to return that. But also it was really hard because I had a little undeveloped, you know, early 20s aged brain that just wanted to go off and do my own thing. But that's not what this life requires of me. Oh, yeah. Like when you were telling me today that you are, uh, do you want me to say this? Like yeah. you were telling me you feel ashamed of who you were during those star sea days and that you ever believed in that stuff. But like, who 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 isn't ashamed of their 20-year-old selves? <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah. If you're not, then you're boring. Well, there is no evolution then. In order to learn something, you need to change. And if you're changing throughout your life, you're somebody who's learning a lot, you know? Yeah. There's nothing worse than somebody who is the same at 30 as they were at 20. There's an issue there, if they are. Yeah. Yeah. So you also told me in private that you believed you were a hybrid. Yeah. So I wasn't leaning fully into being an alien. I thought that I was an alien human hybrid, you know, which makes sense because I'm in a human body, right? Like I did not fully accept my alienness. I still did attach to humanity. Okay. And when you went into the David Jacobs stuff and saw what he uh, portrays as hybrids, how, how did you react to that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that says it all, doesn't it? Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> he does he relate to other human beings as human beings? I feel like he too feels very isolated from other people because his worldview, his conception of the universe, and it's so dehumanizing. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, I listened to a recent appearance from Emma Wood, and in it she says, and this is her own opinion, it's not, you know, the consensus, but what she thinks is that David Jacobs does not believe in his narratives, and that it's more of a money thing, or a control thing. Yeah, I would believe it. Of course, whenever an author comes up with a story, the story is still informed by some part of their mind. So the stories that he comes up with just reveal a, you know, a twisted person. It reveals a, a lot of sexual frustrations. So we can go into that now. So let's go into the hypnofetishist thing. Yes, let's. I already told a few friends that I'm going to be interviewing a hypnofetishist. And the first reaction is, how does one come to that in their life? They, they don't even know what that is. So what is a hypnofetishist? And can you tell us how you got to that idea? A hypnofetishist. For me, I am turned on by being brainwashed. <laughs> by having my mind controlled. I almost feel like it's a subset of BDSM in a way because what is the ultimate control or the ultimate display of submission other than to give up your mind to someone, to let them have control of your thoughts and of your consciousness, you know? I mean, that's pretty powerful. That's even more, to me, that was taking things a step beyond, you know, being tied up or whatever. I wanted someone to invade my mind and make me, make me feel good about myself, make me feel pleasure, you know? Because I think for some people who have a history of, well, for me specifically, I'll talk for myself, a history of sexual assault or sexual trauma, it can be mm -hmm. hard for me to experience pleasure and be present in the moment. So it almost like it forces me to feel good by taking over my mind so that it shuts up for five minutes or 10 minutes or an hour or however long the file or the session is. Okay. You said a lot, a lot there. That brings yeah. up so many questions. I'm amazed that you are so, so open about that. So what I am interested in, I was, uh, so I'm interested in- How I heard about it? Well, yeah. How did you hear about it? <laughs> for start. Okay. So I didn't even know that this was a thing. I had no 
clue. I saw on Netflix this documentary, Darren Brown, The Push, where it was about this guy, Darren Brown, who's a mentalist, a hypnotist. And he was trying to see if he could hypnotize someone without them even really knowing it and get them to push someone off of a building. He's also done programs where he's hypnotized people to try and assassinate someone. He's done programs where he's hypnotized people to think that the apocalypse has happened and staged the apocalypse. He really fucks with people's minds. And after watching his programs, I thought, there's no way this is real, right? He can't possibly be actually hypnotizing these people. You can't do that. You can't make people just do things against their will like that by just talking to them, huh? Mm -hmm. So I thought... Hmm. I'm going to go on YouTube and I'm going to type in, you know, like simple induction. I'm going to try to hypnotize myself via YouTube video and I'm willing, you know, so it's probably going to work because I'm willing and by golly, it works. And then you start being recommended like these weird files on YouTube, something called HFO. And I'm like, oh, HFO, erotic hypnosis. What could that mean? HFO stands for hands-free orgasm. Bet you didn't know that could be a thing. Hmm. And yet it is like, so it just opened up this whole new world for me where it made sex very mental, which for me, it always has been because I, again, I always so separated and disassociated from my body, right? Okay. So I have a few questions there. Does this always involve you self-hypnotizing and using a recording of a hypnotist as say the means of achieving the hypnosis? Either that or I will also, I've also done self-hypnosis where I've written a script and then will like read it back to myself and do like, I'll have a pendulum or I'll watch spirals. I also do things like I'll write down a mantra like a hundred times in a, a specific journal. And that's also a method of self-hypnotization is just writing the same thing over and over and over again. So it's just finding different ways of programming yourself. I've also done like video chats with people, but I've never never done in-person hypnosis because guess what kind of hard to find people into this stuff yeah but i'm also wondering is that the point of the hypnosis because as you say somebody who has a history of abuse and trauma mm -hmm. maybe this helps you be sexual but not be with somebody else but rather right. yeah yeah, it usually is, it's a solo thing. Like, it happens with me alone in the room. Okay, and uh, are you really able to guide yourself when you're hypnotized through those scripts, or does it always need to involve <laughs> some... Well, some at a certain point, no no longer. Okay, how about you go into the story of the uh, fantasy file that you found so you oh, can yeah. have some context? Yeah, so as, as healing as hypnosis can be, it also, again, makes people extremely vulnerable. Like, you gotta be careful who you let into your mind, you know? That That's why you don't do it live. You actually watch videos that are pre-recorded. Yeah. So is this person really invading your mind or is it more like master yeah, it's that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's you're opening the door for an experience, you know, mm -hmm. rather than... Um, well, then you are still in control. You are the one who has power over yourself. It's yeah. not necessarily... Well, it is, let's say, role-playing that somebody has power over you. Yes. But since it's pre-recorded, you are the one who has power over yeah. yourself. It's a safe way of losing control. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay, so some of these... Uh, hypnosis files uh, right so like what's the content of them on youtube you know the first time i'm ever getting into this stuff and i'm seeing some crazy files in the recommended like turn yourself into a cow you know or like age regression turn into a baby and i'm like who's sitting here turning themselves into a baby you know like they better have someone around just in case it works <laughs> <laughs> Like, imagine that. There better be like a 15 minute time limit on the effects or something, which is funny. A lot of these hypnosis files, they do specify within them, like effects will only last one hour or until the next time you go to sleep. Because otherwise it's unethical to make someone a cow forever. Yeah, but I also think like somebody breaks out of the hypnosis and they shat and pissed all over themselves while they were right? a baby. <laughs> Yeah. When I'm first exploring this stuff, I'm thinking, oh, these are so funny. There's some like, you know, like get high through hypnosis where you can listen to a file and become stoned. And I'm like trying all them out. And, you know, some are more effective than, than others. <laughs> and I find this one called Big Green Cock. <laughs> 
And it's about being captured by orcs and goblins and they're doing like orc magic on you and you're getting humiliated and put into a cage and I'm like, oh my God, this is unreal. I have to listen to it. So I listen to it and I'm just like, I like, I get the monster fucking thing now, you know? Oh yeah. I was telling you before we were recording, like I want to get a monster fucking erotica author on the show to interview them. Yeah. But most of them don't want to be interviewed. Most of them want to maintain a mysterious persona. Yeah. Yeah, I don't blame them. It's nice to be mysterious. That's a, that's a cool persona to have. Yeah. So yeah. I am wondering a few a few things here. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. From an intellectual perspective, is a part of the attraction also that w- once you start the process of hypnosis, you do not know uh, what will transpire. Right. It's like a waking dream. But you, you also do not know in the file if they will give you a suggestion, oh, you will come out of this in, in one hour or something like that. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Always, it's risk taking, but a very safe role playing way because you are the one risking with yourself. Nobody is there to harm you physically. And also all of these websites will include, they have files for erasing effects or like clearing out your system. So if you feel like you need to sort of like clear out any sessions that you've had, or if you feel like any effects are lingering from past hypnosis sessions, you can then hypnotize yourself to get rid of them you know, and like have a blank slate start fresh, which is nice. It's like sort of a a safety measure. Okay, this will sound very weird. I am somebody who has problems with IBS. And you know that IBS is connected to your emotional and mental state, you know, like I can get stressed and then my intestines just go wild. Oh, I feel that dude. Me too. I have really bad dry heaving sometimes. So I'm wondering if through hypnosis, you can train yourself to get rid of IBS or if somebody is constipated, can they go through a file that essentially hypnotizes them into shitting? You got to turn into a baby, man. (laughs) (laughs) Man. See, you're talking about very erotic things and I go back to poop because that's what I'm interested in. (laughs) You know, some people, some people might find that quite erotic. Uh, Yeah. Thank thank you so much for going into this. Wow. Oh, you're Um, very welcome. It's my pleasure. These communities. Okay. Can you tell me, so the ratio of genders, are they more female or more male? I want to say more female. I've also noticed, you know, what's very interesting in the mm-hmm. hypnosis community. It's a lot of gender non-conforming people. There's a lot of like non-binary people, a lot of trans people. It really mm-hmm. appeals to LGBT people. Yes. Which is interesting. Also, so when you were telling me, when you started talking about this, you were telling me the fetish is somebody having control over your mind. How does that translate if you are watching a video where somebody else is pre-recorded taking control of your own mind, but you're rather taking control of yourself? Is it all role-playing or is it really a fetish of somebody else dominating you? Yeah. So the loss of control that I experience is because I'm giving myself permission to experience it. So it really is all within my control if I'm, you know, choosing to watch or listen to a recorded file. Okay. And I think that's very empowering, especially for women. Yeah. To maintain control over their own mind and body. Mm-hmm. Especially the idea, because it is very masturbatory and what you said, n- no touching orgasm. So it allows women to have so much control over their body that they can essentially reach a climax without even touching themselves and they don't need no man. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, right? I mean, yeah. that's pretty cool. <laughs> that's yeah. very interesting. And I like how we talked about two very weird topics today, but made them very empowering. <laughs> But I also wanted to ask you, like, when you started going into the David Jacobs stuff, you were already a hypno-fetishist. You were already into this stuff. Yep. Okay, so that allowed you... I think that's part of why what he was doing was also so obvious to me. Yeah, so what what actually provided you the idea that what he is doing is actually predatory? The fact that she was scared... (laughs) 
about all of it, mm -hmm. you know? Like, this woman was really scared and confused about what was happening to her. Every little scrape on her body, every little bruise, every little freckle that she didn't notice before suddenly became a threat to her. How terrifying, how awful. It's like, there's just something really off about it. And the whole, the chastity belt, <laughs> the chastity belt and the heels, like, come on. That's yeah. so fetishy. And I need to point out, like, we are not talking about the Emma Woods situation, but rather another woman. Yeah, we don't know her name. He continues to do the same thing over and over again with so many of his clients. Yeah, you know, I really don't have a concrete answer. I guess it's... <laughs> so stupid it's a vibe man like he just has a, a vibe mm -hmm. and when you also go to his website like the the questionnaire that you have to fill out to like get in contact with him to see if if you qualify or whatever all the questions just seem so guided towards a specific type of person who believes a specific set of things that makes them perfectly exploitable by him oh yeah it actually filters out those outliers that he does not need and brings yeah. forth to him like, the exact person that he wants the questionnaire was way too specific and detailed you know that it made me think like yeah he's, he's some filtering going on because i listened to the episode you guys cut out a lot of it because it was related to a hypnotic fantasy of this woman being assaulted by hybrids which is something that he keeps constantly and constantly implanting into his clients and you guys by the end of that said like this dude is imprinting false memories of this woman's prior traumas like you guys actually recognize that this woman is a victim of prior trauma and that he is just exchanging let's say the the perpetrator from the past mm -hmm. with aliens. Right, because they already have that memory, that that emotional memory, that they can, under hypnosis, under trance, experience that, re-experience that. So he basically re-traumatizes them in order to make them more moldable. And then he exchanges their sexual trauma from the past with alien trauma to prove his own Yeah, point. and gives them more of it. Oh, man. Like, he creates new trauma, which is so fucked up. Like, I really hate the dude. Okay, so I could not end the episode without asking you, do you think hypnosis is a, a viable way of retrieving memories? Fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> and guys, this is coming from somebody who practices hypnosis and self-hypnosis. And I think that. that most all, all hypnofetishists will tell you that. Like, no, it's not a memory retrieval tool. Okay, so it is a behavior modification then tool. Yeah, it can be a memory modification tool. I mean, in fact, that's why a lot of people do it. A lot of people do it in order to induce amnesia because they want that. Okay, so do people do that to then help themselves with prior trauma, induce amnesia? of prior trauma or repressed trauma. That's interesting. I imagine some do, yeah. Hmm. Well, <laughs> I mean... What an interesting discussion. I mean, we've, we've been all over the map. Yeah, yeah, it's very interesting. Like, I am so dumb, dumbfounded now that I don't know what to ask you. <laughs> <laughs> you... But hmm. I think I think it's a very important thing. So when somebody says here is hypnofetishist, they're like, I'm not talking to that person, and that person is not qualified to you know provide a valid opinion. But yet, I was amazed by your episode on David Jacobs. I'm going to link it in the episode description because you cool. approached this as somebody who already practices hypnosis, was hypnotized, was self hypnotized a lot of times, and you know how to recognize this stuff. And mm -hmm. you call called out on his bullshit without even knowing the Emma Woods. Stuff. So that gives credence right. to the notion that this is predatory behavior because it is constantly repeating over and over again. I think a lot of people are surprised to learn that hypnosis is real. It works. And it works, unfortunately. It can work on the unwilling. Okay, so one more question I rem remember now. Blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm having trouble with words. Maybe I'm hypnotized now. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I hypnotized you in this conversation. Man, I don't, I was never hypnotized in my life unless it happened without my knowledge. Not that you know of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to ask you, do you think people, let's say, who go through hypnosis to uh, retrieve memories of alien abductions, as you say, it is not a tool of retrieving memories. So what they are going through is that a new paranormal experience that they are constructing at that point in time space? Yeah, I think like in a cosmic sort of mystical perspective, what's happening there is the hypnotist is like literally opening up a, a new portal that they step through and like create a new memory and they do 
they do experience an abduction. Like they are getting abducted, just not, you know, not in the physical world, but their minds are, you know, being abducted and transported elsewhere. They are experiencing things that are out of this world because they literally are. They're not happening here. Okay, that that goes. Do you know of the Betty Andreessen abductions? No. Okay, it's a whole rabbit hole you'd probably love to go into on your show. Eventually, like the first book is a classic alien abduction with so much high strangeness elements, but later on through the decades, she goes into herself being astrally abducted, like not physically. Oh, shit. Whenever she's abducted, like the first abduction, she remembers her whole family was frozen in time. Mm Mm-hmm. So later it became like, yeah, time actually is frozen and she is being abducted astrally from her body and being brought to this other place. That's freaky. Yeah. I'm now thinking like everything was through hypnosis. So it was during these hypnotic sessions, was she experiencing these new created at the spot abductions, but astral abductions? And can you through hypnosis actually induce a genuine paranormal event? Yeah, I think so. Hmm. At least you can make someone like effectively believe they've had one and experience one. Yeah, that's very interesting because what? W- how do you define if something is a paranormal event or if it's a hallucination or delusion like do you need some some kind of scientific way of proving oh this is a genuine paranormal event because aren't all paranormal events kind of tied to the perception of the observer yeah and the perception of whoever is hearing about it so i guess like what that event is really depends on who's experiencing it and who's listening oh in her so in the second book about her uh stories while she is hypnotized the people in the room with her experienced electromagnetic disturbances poltergeist phenomena, light balls, Mm -hmm. stuff like that. So I'm thinking like if you hypnotize somebody and induce a new paranormal experience in their minds, can this be maybe transferred to other people like a hitchhiker effect? And then- I think uh, so, yeah. And then the the other people experience paranormal phenomena as well. I think it, honestly, it it comes down to brain waves, you know? Because if one person is in trance and is in like sort of this, you know, one state of frequency as the woo-woo people call it, but that literally is what it is, is your brain waves like you know if one person is in a trance and all of those other people are sort of connected and doing the same activity it makes sense that their brains might sort of you know uh, Mm. sync up and and align to more or less the the same range of frequency and they all start to experience similar things like Like in in spiritualist seances their brain waves may be synced up and everybody experienced paranormal phenomena but isn't let's say a hypnosis session where there are a lot of people in the room listening to the to this person scream about aliens abducting them isn't that kind of like a seance but instead of you know having an oracle puke out gauze and say that it's ectoplasm you have a person going through a psychedelic experience and sharing it verbally with everybody else right yeah wow i I just thought of that now i never made that connection well it's almost like a hypnotist is a medium in a way except Mm -hmm. instead of like picking up on information and being a channel for that information they're like they're using somebody else as the channel yeah wow that is so interesting it is I've never thought of it that way either. Because in the UFO field, I know, like, we all know Jacques Vallée and the fairy mm-hmm. UFO connection. And he connected gods and fairies to modern UFO phenomena. But you can even tie spiritualism. The whole abductee movement and phenomenon is essentially a modern rehash of spiritualism. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> we discovered something here. <laughs> Well, would you look at that? I think when Sequoia uh, listens to this episode, that's the other co-host listeners of The Nonsense Bazaar, I think he he will lose his mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He'll probably be like, well, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Because he's way into theosophy and that stuff. Mm -hmm. Okay. So for the end, can you share with the listeners where they can find you? Oh yeah, sure thing. So we're on all of the things. We're on iTunes. We're on Spotify. We're we're on all, all, all the things. And you can also find me and Sequoia individually. Willow Truman, Sequoia Kennedy. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. The Nonsense Bazaar. We're on there. Give us a give us a listen if you liked this. Oh yeah, listeners, and please do give a listen because they go into very intricate things and they really do their research. Like I only listened to a few episodes, but I thought how the heck do you find the time to read so many books? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. We do it every week, folks. So, you know, listeners, this is a show that's worth actually listening to because they actually read books. I do know how to read, believe it or not. Oh, man. A podcaster, <laughs> who, a, a paranormal podcaster who knows how to read. <laughs> and it's not Wikipedia. Mm. Oh, what fun. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, thank you very much for being brave. And I hope you, you feel comfortable with everything we talked about and with us joking a bit now. I do. I do. Yeah. That was great. And yeah. um, this is definitely uh, much more personal than I get into on my podcast. Oh, yeah. So this was cool to do. <laughs> I tend to make every episode catered towards the guest. And mm-hmm. I want to make meaningful content because I see every podcast as an imprint of, of the essence, you know? Honestly, it feels important to do because today's a full moon. So it feels like the marking of a new cycle. Mm-hmm. It feels like I'm being open and it feels nice to do. Well, that that's what podcasting should be. You alone know the influence of, say, a YouTube video. Having a personal meaning and sparking some, something metaphysical. But why can't podcasting also do something like that, you know? Indeed. And it does. Okay, so until the next full moon. Yes. <laughs> Bye-bye, guys. Take care. <laughs>